with um that's right it's not good unless the guy's hollering in the kitchen that's right terry carter absolutely all right the jesuit order i want to show you this book i'm going to put me in the wide shot here for a second Okay, now, this is a reprint of a book. If I can get you close here. Jesuits in History. The Jesuits in History by Hector McPherson. A good old Scottish man. It was written in 1914. 1914 is when it was written. And the Jesuit order, he's going to explain the significance of the Jesuit order. And he's going to explain the significance of their founder, Ignatius Loyola. He's going to explain the significance of their infiltration, their tactics. I don't know how far we're going to get today, but we'll we'll read for about an hour and a half here, on and off, and with some commentary, right? But I want you to get an idea of the understanding that people had about the Jesuit order. In history, because this history has been suppressed, the Jews have been used as the scapegoat for the Jesuit order, the front men, to build Jewish hate. They are Jews that have worked and do work for the papacy through the Knight of Malta, the orders of Knight of Malta, through the Masonic order, which we we all know from um, that uh, the Masonic handbook that I read to you, that the Pope reinstated the Knights Templar, which is the modern Masonic order. They admitted in their book. So, the Masonic Order is nothing more than a hand of the Jesuit Order, the Roman Catholic Papacy. The head of the mysteries is Babylon. Babylon is that spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. It is that kingdom. It is that work of Antichrist that is against Christ and against all that is called God. It is that Antichrist order. It is something that you must understand. Many people are confused about the Jesuit order. Many people are confused about who rules and who runs the world. 
John 19, 15, but they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests, the rulers, the representation of Israel, the nation of Israel, answered, we have no king but Caesar. Jesus said to them, Matthew 23, Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall you scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, the son of Berechias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house, whose house? The house of Israel is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth till you shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They would not see their Messiah again until the end. Until the fullness. Sorry, I spelled it wrong. Look very closely. Romans. Right? For I would not, brethren, Romans chapter 11, pay attention closely. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel. Until what? Until the fullness of the Gentiles Be come in. Okay. Has that happened yet? No. And all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant of them when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the father's sake takes till the fullness okay hang on a second
There's a picture of this. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. There comes a, there's going to come a time. The Antichrist by flattery. We're talking about kingdom of Antichrist, what the Jesuits rule and run on this earth. And in his estate shall stand up a vile person whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. By the way, the Pope wants the temple built in Jerusalem. The Jews want the temple built in Jerusalem. The temple Jews. They don't realize. They don't realize. What the Pope is going to do. He's going to sit in the temple of God. That final Pope. I'm not saying it's this one. That man of sin. Is a succession of men. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That's going to happen. It hasn't happened yet going to happen on that temple mount I believe they're going to blow that temple mount up I believe that rock of the dome that says right on it God has no son they're going to blow that up they're going to blow that thing sky high they're going to blow that rock of the dome up. They're, they're going to blow up the uh, that mosque probably. Probably going to blame us for it. Right? And then shall the, and for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. It's working now. There's a mystery of iniquity. There are many antichrists. How many popes have there been in the world? Many. How many have said they were God on earth? All of them. How many were allowed to finish? None of them. One will come. All right, so the Jesuits in history by McPherson. Okay. Written in 1914, he says this, when Ignatius Loyola appeared on the scene at the time of the great world crisis known as the Reformation, 
the fervent Romanist might well exclaim, the hour has come, and the man. For Rome, the hour had certainly come in a different sense than her devotees believed. The hour when she was being weighed in the balance and found wanting. The dissoluteness of her various orders, her shameless traffic in holy things, the political as well as spiritual despotism, which she wielded over individuals. These proved so much combustible material, which only needed the match of Luther to set ablaze. In its desperation, in its hour of duress, in its hour of direst need, the papacy looked around for help to stop the worldwide conflagration. The hour of humiliation had come. Where was the man who could, if not bring the fading glory of Rome, at least help to restore somewhat her shattered prestige? Who was that man? That man was Ignatius Loyola. He was the man that would come on the scene He's the man that would come on the scene. The man of the hour. He was hailed as the man of the hour. Who then was Ignatius Loyola? He was the founder of a new order, the Order of Jesuits, whose one supreme object was to check the progress of the Reformation. He was born in 1491, eight years after Luther, and belonged to an old Spanish family. In due course, Ignatius entered upon a military career in which he greatly distinguished himself, but in the course of which he met with an accident, which completely changed the current of his life. A wound which he received in battle laid him aside for a time from active duties. During his tedious illness, he took to reading Roman Catholic literature. He underwent a spiritual change. He longed to devote himself as wholeheartedly to the church as he had done to the army. He gave himself up to asceticism of the extremist type. We are told that he clothed himself in black filthy garments and allowed his uncurled hair to fall over his unwashed face. As a result of his long fasts, he had fainting fits. And in his trances on his own affirmation, he, may, he had visions of the saints, especially of the Virgin Mary. His delusions led him to imagine that he had been translated direct to heaven. How many of these people do we see? How many of these people that come in the same spirit as Ignatius Loyola? They have a vision of heaven. They say they went to heaven. They had visions of Mary. They have visions of God. They have visions of all these things. He imagined that he had direct access to heaven, translated to heaven, where God with his own hand had placed him close beside his own son, Jesus Christ. His brother, alarmed, no doubt, for his sanity, urged Ignatius to give up all his nonsense and act like other men, all in vain. Ignatius persisted in his new career. In order to chastise himself for his former love of pleasure, he flogged his body till the blood flowed. He beat himself and he whipped himself. Just like the pagan, the heathens do. Did the same thing as the heathens. 
Ignatius is a mystic. Was a mystic. Make no mistake about it. He's a mystic. Just like the mystics, the pre-charismatic movement was started by the mystics. They are the fathers and the mothers of the charismatic movement. I've covered that. Go listen to sermonaudio.com slash Pastor Cooley. You can find it there. I cover it there. His delusions led him to imagine that he had been translated directly to heaven where God with his own hand had placed him close by him, right? We are told that he never slept in a bed, not even on straw, but upon the bare naked ground and subsisted during the whole week on nothing but water and bread, which he obtained by begging in the streets. He girded himself around the body with an iron chain with which he duly flogged himself three times a day. He's torturing himself like the heathens. what the heathens do. He no longer made use of any comb or scissors so that his appearance became perfectly horrible to a degree that whenever he made his appearance, he was surrounded by the street boys who ran screaming after him, bespattering him with rotten eggs and mud. Accidentally, the discovery was made of his noble birth and as a consequence, interest in him was greatly increased. To avoid publicity, Ignatius found a convenient cave which he made into a hiding place. In the cavern, he increased his penance, abstaining from food and drink for several days. Now listen to me. He is punishing himself. Why? Because he's possessed. That's what the the maniac of Gadara did, right? He beat himself. He flogged himself. He whipped himself. Why did he do that? Because they don't believe in the all-sufficiency of the atonement. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again from the dead. They think that they could do something to pay for their sin debt. Right? So he abstained from food and abstained from drinks. When he ate, his food was consisted of roots, which grew from the cave, and old bread, which he had brought with him from the hospital. He flogged himself with his chain six times a day instead of three times, prayed for seven hours on his naked knees in order to increase his bodily mortification. He reduced his sleep to the minimum, impressed with the idea that in the matter of penance and mortification... He had fallen short. Ignatius was inflicted with remorse as a result of his unnatural way of life and his morbid broodings. His imagination in a state of disorder called up pictures of the devil with claws, horns, club feet, and blackface. He also had visions of the Savior surrounded by heavenly hosts, ready to engage in conflict with Satan and his army. In conflict with Satan and his army. Imagination ran riot. On one occasion, Ignatius, we are told, saw the Holy Spirit in the form of three piano notes closely bound together, hanging upon a stalk. And to his holy eyes, moreover, the host was transformed in the true God-man. 
the host. Right? The cookie god. It was the cookie god. The host turned into Jesus. So they believe. They're heathens. Yes, they have hallucinations. They're heathens. By the way, this should be a good lesson for you that some things are not complete spiritual problems. If you have a lack of sleep and you have a lot of things going on in your mind, get some sleep. Sleep. When you don't sleep, your mind wanders and it gets into crazy. People go insane not sleeping. It's a good way. A good night's sleep will take care a lot of times of a lot of stress and and anxiety to get the rest you need. Now, sometimes you can't sleep, but you need to try to find a way to sleep. Because a lot of times things clear up when you get rest. Ignatius was on the point of paying with his life for his pious experiments. For eight days, he lay unconscious and would certainly have died had it had he not been accidentally discovered by some passerbyers and conveyed to the hospital where he received proper attention. His prolonged penance, his ecstatic raptures, his marvelous visions brought Ignatius no peace of mind. As a result of conversation with the priest to whom he made confession, he was led to see that he had a mission which demanded all his energies. He realized that as the outcome of the work of Luther, a crisis had risen in the Romish church. The Romish church, the papacy, or the pope himself, said Ignatius, and the whole religious fabric must collapse, owing to its former supports being now thoroughly worm-eaten, unless some entirely new foundation pillars can be found. It was borne in upon him that he had a mission, the rooting out of the heresy of the reformers and the conversion of the heathen. He changed his mode of life. He cast aside his disgusting habits and dressed after the manner of his former self, a polished gentleman. Ignatius conceived the idea of creating a new organization with which to combat the Reformation. He gathered round him six associates, four Spaniards, one Portuguese, and one Savoyard. Savoyard. From the purpose of dedicating themselves the Holy Vow, the seven assembled themselves in the crypt of Notre Dame de Monte Marte on the 15th of August, 1534, where they bound themselves by an oath to follow the course which had been mapped out. Ignatius Loyola placed before him the altar and swore upon the Bible to live henceforth a life of poverty, chastity, and obedience. He swore to fight to all eternity only for the things of God of the Holy Mary and her son, Jesus Christ, a true spiritual knight, as also for the protection of the Holy Romish Church and for the extension of the true faith among unbelievers, devoting his life thereto. After him, Six others took the same oath as they at last rose up from their knees 
Ignatius Loyola marked upon the altar three large capital letters, I-H-S. What do these signify? Commanded the others. They signify, answered Ignatius, Jesus, homonym, Salvador. Jesus, the Savior of mankind, which we know it's Isis, Horus, Set. In the autumn of 1537, the little band in the word of Ignatius solemnly offered their services to the Holy Father and told him that they were determined to raise a mighty army of holy knights whose sole aim and thought should be devoted to overthrow all enemies of Rome under the banner of the Savior. The new order met with great opposition within the church, but the papal authorities gave it their approval in the belief that it might have a powerful influence in checking the progress of the Reformation. One learned author, Schrock, puts with this clearly as follows. The acceptance of and favor shown to the order of the Jesuits by the Pope is not to be wondered at from the state of the Catholic Church at the time. On the contrary, it must have been hardly welcome to the Roman court. The latter had already lost an immense deal of ground through the reformation of Luther and Calvin and stood in danger of being always still more a loser as the former means of the Pope for securing the obedience of Christians were no longer sufficient. The order, the other orders and ecclesiastical societies which had hitherto rendered good service had become powerless and effete and enjoyed but little consideration in their own proper church. More powerful institutions and more active defenders than the Roman Catholic Church hitherto had were required against such formidable and fortunate opponents. Now a society offered itself, which promised to devote itself to all the requirements of the church and render the most implicit obedience to the popes. Why should it then be rejected? What were the methods by which the ideal was to be realized? Before the world, the Jesuits pose as disciples of Jesus. As we proceed to study their history, we shall see that instead of being disciples, they have been betrayers of the Savior of mankind. They are the betrayers. They are the Judases, not the disciples. They are the Judases. They are the betrayers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his church. They betray the Son of God. Now, Jesuitism, a spiritual despotism. McPherson goes on to say, as the greatest protagonist of Luther, it was natural that the founder of Jesuitism should adopt for his order principles that are diametrically opposed to those of the Reformation. The principles of the Reformation made for the emancipation of the individual soul and intellect from an unbearable spiritual despotism and the emancipation of states from an equally unbearable political despotism. The Jesuit leader in framing the constitution of the new order set himself to stop the emancipating process by making more rigorous the despotism of Rome. 
His aim was twofold, to restore the despotic authority of the Roman church and to bring the heathen nations within its fold. Let us examine the rules of the order to see how far they are adapted to realize that aim as became an order inspired by the military spirit. Number one, never forget the Jesuit order is not a religious order, number one. It is, number one, a military religious order. It is a military order. Always a military order first. That's why Hitler modeled his SS after the Jesuit order. The secret society, SS, secret societies, are a military order. Every spy organization, the CIA, the FBI, Mossad, What is it, M6 and M5? All military orders, all modeled after the Jesuit order. As became an order inspired by the military spirit, it was essential that the general be appointed and Ignatius had no difficulty in being elected. He soon showed that he had no Intention of aiding the emancipation of the individual. On the contrary. His intention was to proceed further than the Roman church had done in enslaving the individual and stunting his mind. He at once severed all bonds that tied him to the world. Essentially that of blood relationship. As for instance, he threw into the fire without reading them letters, which after a long interval arrived for him from home. He claimed also from his associates the absolute renunciation of all personal relations. Not only were his associates to tear up by the roots all natural affections, but they were to place at his disposal their wills. Hang on a second, I'm going to grab a cough drop. Their very wills. We're in the hand of the Jesuit general. He at once severed all bonds. Not only were associates to tear up by the roots all natural affections, they were to place at his disposal their own wills. The orders of the general were to be obeyed without question. Those in high office he would order to do the cooking, clean out the kitchen, or sweep the streets just to show his authority and to teach them humility. 
To show his power, he compelled two of the brethren who had been idling their time to carry up a heap of stones to the upper story piece by piece and to bring them down again the following day. In this spirit of absolute ruthless despotism, the rules of the order were framed. The individual, when he becomes a Jesuit, renounces his own will and becomes as clay in the hands of the potter. Each member of the Jesuit order is taught to persuade himself that they who live under obedience should permit themselves to be moved and directed under divine providence by their superiors, just as if they were soft wax in the hands of a superior to take what form he pleases, or as a corpse which allows itself to be moved and handled in any way, or as the staff of an old man which serves him wherever he goes, or on whatever thing he who holds it in his hand pleases to use it, promptly attending to their voice just as if it proceeded from Christ our Lord. Obedience is the watchword of Jesuitism. Those who enter the order are subjected to obedience the most absolute, in details of conduct the most trivial, as well as in beliefs the most solemn. In his masterly book, The Jesuits in Great Britain, Walsh quotes from the Rules of the Society of Jesus, printed for the private use of its members. Only at the Jesuits' private printing press, Rockhampton, in 1863. The following, we are told, is printed as the 14th of what are termed the common rules. So here... The common rules... Of the Jesuit order. Says this. None of those. Who are admitted for the work of the home. Must learn either to read or write. Or if he had any knowledge of letters to acquire more. Nor shall anyone teach him without leave of the general. But it shall be sufficient for him to serve Christ our Lord in holy simplicity and humility. In the matter of obedience, the individual's own will and conscience go for nothing. In the spiritual exercise, Loyola lays it down. He says this. That we may be entirely of the same mind with the church. If she have defined anything black, which may appear to our minds to be white, we ought to believe it. To be as she has pronounced it. Obedience in the real meaning of the term, according to Loyola, no longer exists when we begin inwardly to question whether it is rightly or wrongly that we are given a command. A Jesuit, he says, ought to have a will only inclined to obey without reasoning anything, without seeing anything, 
to perform all the superiors told you to do. End quote. See, this is how the Pope kept everyone in the Dark Ages. That's why it's called the Dark Ages, by the way. Because openly, they weren't to read and write and to learn and to grow. They weren't to worry about learning to read and write. He kept everybody in the dark. Now, there were men like the, the Donatists, the Lollards, the Novationists, later on the Petrobrusians, um, the Hussites. The Patricians. The Waldenses, the Vaudois. All of these men would learn to read and to write. They would hide their books. They would hide the Bible when the Inquisition would come after them. Because they didn't want them learning to read. Why? Because the, the Bible would break the Word of God translated into the common language at the time before the King James and at other times. Luther and and when Luther would translate his temple Bible and before Luther uh, you had the uh, Syrian Bible uh, you had the Waldensians Italian Biblia Italia Biblia those men were literate men and that would free you from the darkness of the papacy so the Reformation, Luther and and even some of those characters I don't like that were wicked men. They promoted reading. Learning to read, learning to write, being literate. Cuz reading men are hard to take over. Men that can read and women that can read and children that can read are hard to take over. They're harder to deceive. What do we have today? Well, the internet and VR and all those things, what do they want to do? Dumb you down. Dumb you down. So you don't read and all you do is sit and watch videos. And you just become a big dummy, dumb, dumb, dumb. That's what they want you to be. Because they don't want you to read. So people watch videos of how raccoons fart. That's what they spend their day doing. <laughs> Look at that raccoon farting over there. <laughs> and they don't read anything. That's what happens. Because that's what the devil wants you to do. It's watch airheaded, empty videos 
that don't teach you anything, that just show you purdy pictures. Well, purdy pictures are for little children. We're writing a book right now, an illustrated, actually Paul's family uh, just finished it on geocentricity. And there's pictures in there. There's nothing wrong with that. It's illustrated for children. There's nothing wrong with using pictures. But my goodness, what about reading? And reading things that will build you. Not just fiction things, but educated fiction if you're going to read it. Things that build you up in the mind and edify you. Obviously the Bible, number one. But reading, people, preachers that used to visit America from England, you know what they said? Oh, you, you, you people in America, you have parlors. We have libraries. We have libraries. We read. By the way, some of the most boring preachers I have ever sat under and some of the preachers that that never really offer much to people are preachers that won't read after other men. If you don't read after other men, rest assured, no one will read after you. They don't read. They just watch videos. Ah, Illuminati exposed. Uh, yeah, you ever use your mind and cultivate your mind and actually read something? You know, like spend your time exercising your mind and growing it and learning? That's what the Jesuits didn't want. That's what they still don't want now. We're quickly becoming a society that's like that. Okay. There's my rant right there. By the way, as evidence of the slavery to which the Jesuit is compelled to submit, take the following rule. No one must shut his chamber door so that it cannot be opened on the outside or have any chest or other thing locked without the superior's leave. No one must take any medicine or choose a physician or take advice of him unless the superior's approval. In regarding reading... No member can keep or read any book of what kind soever without leave of the superior to whom it belongs to assign them those which may be most proper for their spiritual profit. Not only is the conduct of members inside the home regulated to the most minute details, but rules are laid down regarding their relations with the outside world. What did they say? 
That's what happens. He said, oh, you can't read anything. They didn't want them reading things that would spiritually profit them. That would grow them and test their mind and strengthen their mind and heart. By the way, look at the literacy rate in America and in public schools. Children graduating high school and can't even read. But they can show you a TikTok video. They can eat Tide Pods. They can show you a TikTok video. They can give you a football stat. <laughs> he threw ball downfield. Man tackled him. <laughs> go goo. Go green. Go blue. Go red. Hut, hut, hut. But they can't, but they can't read. Right? That's what that's part of the plan to keep people dark go back to the dark ages. Because people that can't read are controlled. People that can't read and write are controlled. In a word, the individual Jesuit is reduced to an automaton, a mere machine moved by secret springs, a being bereaved of the qualities of manhood. A striking illustration of the despotic nature of Jesuitism is to be found in the treatment meted out by Dr. Bartolo, who at one time belonged to the order. In his book, The Primitive Church and the Primacy of Rome, he records the following. I left the Society of Jesus for reasons of conscience for which I am answerable to none, save to God alone. But these reasons were not the only ones. For this last year, owing to doctrinal accusations brought by unknown people against me, my superiors first forbade me to live in large cities and centers of culture. Then they made it impossible for me to hold any intercourse with learned men, to study, to write, to print any book, to exercise in any way my natural inclination for scientific studies. They forbade me to preach. They regulated, they relegated me to the town of secondary importance where I could have no contact whatever with books or students. I was ordered to live where without any, there without any settled duty or fixed occupation. Finally, they commanded me never to go out of the house without one of my brethren who was to keep a watch upon my private conversations and report them to my superiors. And all this... In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ? I appealed for my local superiors, to the general, the whole society. My appeal was rejected. I asked permission to go to Rome to clear myself personally of the charges brought against me. I was denied even this last favor. I inquired of a friend whether the authorities of the Roman church would, if appealed to, Look into my case and protect me against my superiors. I was answered that the tribunal of the church could, would do nothing in my behalf. There was then nothing left for me but to submit to a life of slavery and idleness in the society of Jesus or to rebel against the society and the church 
I chose the latter course. I wrote a letter to my superiors and abandoned the society of the Roman church. Equally striking is the testimony of Dr. Giovanni Pellidio, who until 1908 held an important ecclesiastical position in Rome in connection with the training of the Roman Catholic students in the seminaries. In an interview with the representative of London, religious organ, the Christian Commonwealth, Dr. Pellidio, referring to the efforts of the Jesuits to gain absolute control of the students, said this. Okay, let me stop there for a second. We'll read that. Do you realize that the Jesuits have shaped education all over the world? Every major dictator was trained at Jesuit universities or had Jesuit tutors. Fordham University, a number of different universities all over the world. The Bavarian Illuminati. That Jesuit order was started by Adam Weissef. Adam Weissef is a Jesuit. He started the Bavarian Illuminati. He teamed with the Rothschilds to fund the Roman Catholic papacy after they were suppressed by the Pope. So they want to control education. They want, they want to control education through Marxism, through fascism, on these, and, and train high-level people in different positions of authority. So they'll be educated well in the ways of the Jesuit order to shape society. They know that controlling education, the way they did it, The Pope's encyclical was followed by the adoption of a double policy intended to crush the modernists in the church and to prevent the reproduction of the same spirit in the future generations of the clergy. The principal episodes in the first part of the campaign were the excommunication or the deprivation of those priests who could not be induced to recant and submit, the attempt to persuade others to surrender at discretion in return, for various lucrative sinecures and the imposition upon all the priests of the formula condemning them in detail. Anyway, so uh, the Pope's plan of campaign was involved in the systematic sequestration of the ecclesiastical students in the seminaries from any contact with modern thought and life by provisions intended to keep the priest as long and as far as possible immune from modern influences. The concentration of the seminaries took place in Italy for the purpose of transferring them from the control of the secular clergy to the direction of the religious orders, such as the Jesuits and the Vicentians, more fitted to enforce Orthodox views. That means Roman Catholic Orthodox views. That was the goal. Okay. Between the vow of obedience and the vow of poverty, there is a suggestive connection. To quote Mr. Walsh, he said this, Before the probationer has actually joined the society, 
though he may be only 14 years old. Provision is made in the Constitution to enable him to give up at once all his property to the society. He is even advised that it is better for him to make no condition in so doing, but let him leave its property disposal to him who has the care of the whole society, whether it should be applied to one place rather than to another within the same province, since he must know better than any other what is most needful and what is most urgent. By this astute rule, the Jesuits are enabled under the cloak of religion to reap a substantial financial harvest. Whatever may be said of their efforts to lay up treasure in heaven, they are certainly experts of laying up treasure upon earth. What'd they do? They would talk very wealthy people into giving up their fortunes and joining the Jesuit order and giving all their fortunes to them. That's what they did. Hell, they got rich. One astonishing feature of the Jesuit order is that not only is its own constitution essentially despotic, but it has at various times encroached upon the despotic power of the Pope. Even in the early days of the society, Loyola sometimes succeeded in putting pressure on the Pope in regard to injunctions which the society felt to be to be its deter- determined. Some popes, however, were not so pliable and strongly contested the claims of the Jesuits to put the desires of the Vatican aside. Sixtus V set himself to certain secure certain changes in the constitution of the order, but he met with strenuous opposition. In regard to Sixtus, it was predicated by Bellarmine that he would not survive the year 1590, a prediction that was looked upon as a threat. So what would happen? If the Pope went against the Jesuit order, then the Jesuit order would go against the Pope. But I thought they swore allegiance to the Pope. They're a military order. Their allegiance is first to Mary. Then to the Pope. If they deem that the Pope is not doing what should be done, they'll get rid of the Pope. His successor, Urban VII, who when Cardinal assisted Sixtus in his opposition to the Jesuits, died 11 days after his election a fact which involved the Jesuits in suspicion. They killed him. Eleven days after his election. Why? Because he went against the order. The Jesuit general. The sudden death of Clement VIII, who was also at feud with the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits, increased the suspicion of foul play. Whatever was the cause of these sudden deaths, the fact remains that the Jesuits aimed at supreme despotic power. 
So strong did they become that several popes were beaten in their attempts to discountenance some of the doctrines taught by the Jesuits. In the words of the writer in the Encyclopedia Britannica, they say this, some popes fruitlessly condemned the Chinese rites. Listen! Whereby the Jesuits... The Jesuit missionaries had virtually assimilated Christianity to heathenism and the practical reply of the latter was to obtain in 1700 an edict from the emperor of China declaring that there was nothing idolatrous or superstitious in the inculpated usages. Okay. The Jesuits in order to control China. assimilated Christianity to heathenism. So they could control the emperor. Wherever you find them, they control. In 1710, the Jesuits put Cardinal Toronar, legate of Clement XI, into the prison of the Inquisition at Macaro, where he perished, and finally they disobeyed the brief of suppression issued by Clement XIV in 1773, which enjoined them to disperse at once, to send back all novices to their homes, and to receive no more members. In 1773, Pope Clement suppressed the Jesuits. Why is that important? Because of Adam Wyseft and the Bavarian Illuminati. And the founding of America. Get it? To put it briefly, the Jesuits are willing to cooperate with the papacy when it suits their own interests. But do not hesitate to disobey papal authority and take an independent course when occasion serves. It is altogether a mistake to suppose that Protestants are the only opponents of the Jesuits. On the contrary, their most virulent opponents are to be found in the Roman Church itself. The Augustinians, the Carmelites, and particularly the Dominicans looked upon them as the common enemy. But perhaps the strongest evidence of the dislike which was entertained of the Jesuits by the head of the Romish Church is found in the language applied to them by Clement Fourteenth. In this brief, he abolished the order. The important passages are these. Listen. We have remarked to our deep regret. He's talking about the Jesuits when he signs the papal bull to suppress the Jesuits. We have remarked to our deep regret that our admonitions to them 
to serve God and not to mix themselves up with other matters, especially secular and political, as well as many other measures, have been almost powerless and of no effect. Our predecessors had to undergo much vexation on that account. Pope Innocent XI, driven by necessity, went so far as to forbid the society to receive and invest novices. Further, Innocent XIII was compelled to threaten them with the same punishment. And Benedict XIV closed the visitation of the inspection of the houses and colleges in the dominion of our well-beloved son in Christ, the most faithful king of Portugal. After so many and violent storms, all well-disposed people hope to see once more the much-wished-for day which should bring peace and quiet. There occurred, however, only still more vehement and dangerous outbreaks. As long as Clement XIII sat upon the chair of St. Peter, and as stronger complaints and cries were raised, and even here and there the most dangerous results, rebellions and scandals broke out, and it went so far that even those who inherited from their forefathers piety and magnanimity towards the general esteemed society, Prominently, our beloved sons in Christ, the kings of Spain, France, Portugal, and two of Sicilies, saw themselves constrained to banish and expel the members of the order out of their kingdoms because they look upon this as a necessary measure in order to prevent Christ being seized and torn out of the lap of the Holy Mother Church. End quote. See, the Jesuits would be suppressed by the popes over and over again. They would then kill the popes that suppressed them. They would lie in wait for revenge. And they would kill them. They would poison them in the most slow, methodical, and horrible way. To make sure their bowels would rot and gush out of them. That's how they would that's how they would deal with them. Very rotten, horrible, slow, painful, methodical. And they still do it. Their number one choice way of putting their enemies to death is to slowly Poison them in the most painful way. Or quickly, if need be. I believe that they, have, they are responsible for killing multiple numbers of U.S. presidents. I believe they killed Thomas Jefferson. I believe they killed John Adams. And I absolutely believe they killed George Washington. I believe they killed all of them. Yes, they do, Cindy. They do enjoy that. Cindy said, I bet your kids love when you read to them. <laughs> they do. They're murders. They bled George Washington out. They killed John Adams and they killed... Um, one of the other presidents, 
on Independence Day, I believe. Okay, we'll keep going here. In view of the evils which the Jesuits had brought upon the church by their haughty, dictatorial, despotic, and intriguing policy, Clement the Fourth. 14th decreed the abolition of the order in these words here's what he pronounced we abolish and do away with forever their statutes habits customs decrees and constitutions, even when sealed by oath or apostolic confirmation, so that from this day hence, the society of Jesus no longer exists. End quote. Ah. No, 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 no. The Jesuits, not to be beaten, soon set in motion their policy of intrigue in order to regain the power which they had lost. They never give up. They never stop. They think forward a hundred years. They do not stop. They plot and they practice. They plan. They do not give up and they do not quit. If you suppress them, be killed. They will find a way to kill you. And if we get to it today, you'll find the intriguing way they used to control the Roman Catholic Church and the papacy in the office of the Pope. So tricky, so diabolical. Their policy is clearly indicated in a letter written by one of the Jesuit fathers addressed to the superiors in France, in which occurs the following. They said this, Jesuit order. When you are compelled by force to yield in laying aside the clothing which our Holy Father Ignatius required to be worn, you can still inwardly in your hearts remain steadfastly united to his institution and await a more propitious time when you can adopt it openly, only take care to draw the bonds uniting you to one another more closely together and resolved that no human power can release you from your vows. You hear it? He tells them you lie in wait. You hold to your vows in secret. Whatever you have to do openly, don't worry. Do it openly, but in private, keep your vows secretly. In other words, the Jesuits refused to take their directions from the Pope. They placed themselves above papal authority. Within 40 years, they were again in the ascendant. I told you they wait. They wait. They lie in wait. They watch. If they are not in control now, they soon will be. These damnable sons of Loyola. Within 40 years, they were again in the ascendant. In 1814, Pope Pius VII 
annulled the decrees of his infallible predecessor and restored the order. Once more in favor at the Vatican, the Jesuits hit upon an astute line of policy. Now watch. Here's how they do it. How did they regain their power? They realized that it was impossible for the Jesuit order to take on the entire juggernaut of the, of the Roman Catholic Church. There was no way that they could take on the entire Roman Catholic Church without being suppressed. So this is how they did. This is the plan that they had. This is how they would control the entire Roman Catholic papacy, the entire Roman Catholic hierarchy, the entire million upon millions of people and two billion, excuse me, two billion Catholics and the finances and the money and the land and everything else. They would do it this way. Hitherto, they had been baffled by the fact that in using his decrees, the Pope was in measure controlled by councils. They saw that it would be easier to manage one man than a large number of bishops in council. The way to this was by proclaiming the Pope infallible. The first move to get the Pope to promulgate without consulting the council the Immaculate Conception of the Virgin Mary. The result of this was shown by a Jesuit writer in a pamphlet published in Vienna in 1865. They voted. They pushed the the church and the Pope to call himself infallible. If the Pope was infallible, then all authority for the Roman Catholic Church was invested in the Pope. And then they only had to control one man and not the entire organization because that one man was vested with authority like God. He would sit on the throne of God saying he was God. Then the order could never be suppressed again because they would control one man. And if that one man didn't do what they said, that one man would be dead. They would install another man that would do their bidding for them. And they would control the entire papacy. The result of this was shown after pointing out that the Pope had proclaimed this dogma without consulting the council. He goes on to say, Pius IX has, it is true, not theoretically, by the act of 8th December 1854, defined infallibility on the part of the Pope, but practically he has claimed it. The practical claim was soon used by the Jesuits as a means of establishing the theoretical claim. So they said it enough as a fact, and they showed it in action enough as a fact that the road was now clear for outspoken advocacy of the infallibility of the Pope. One Jesuit paper, the Civilata, urged the necessity of proclaiming 
the infallibility of the Pope as the means of dealing a death blow to the spirit and teaching of liberation. There was only one way to end the liberty. The infallibility of the Pope. Once the Jesuit pushed that, the Jesuit order, the black Pope, would control the white Pope. And thereby controlling the papacy. Having complete and utter control, never to be suppressed again. The Jesuits won the day. The proclamation of the infallibility of the Pope was their handiwork. And Roman Catholic, as well as Protestant circles, the Jesuits have been treated as enemies of religion. Why? An examination of their teaching in the sphere of morals and statecraft may furnish that answer. Now, let's look at the scriptures. We probably won't get to the rest. I mean, there's much more. But I'm enjoying this, and I'm probably going to continue this. Not today, but on another day. But I want to look at the scriptures right now. The difference in Roman Catholicism and the Jesuit order And biblical Christianity is the all-sufficiency of the Scripture versus and the infallibility of the Scriptures. Right? Versus versus the infallibility of the Pope. That's the difference, friend. Second Timothy chapter three. The Jesuits have accused Bible believers who take their sole authority of faith and practice from the scriptures. They call the Bible a paper pope. The difference in a Bible believer and a lost Roman Catholic on their way to hell and a Jesuit papist. Is the all sufficiency of scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That includes your King James Bible. Is given, not was given, is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. For instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, 
truly furnish into all good works. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. The papacy teaches that the head of the church is the Pope. The scriptures teach that the head of the church is Christ. Right? Christ is the head of the body. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. The Jesuits and the Roman Catholic Church teach that the church is the truth. Born-again Bible believers teach something different. We teach, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. The church is not the truth. Jesus is the truth. The church is is the pillar and the ground of the truth. We pillar the truth. We hold up the truth. We lift up Christ, who is the truth. See the difference? Infallibility rests in Christ alone. Christ is infallible. His word is infallible. They preach the church is absolute truth. The Pope is absolute truth. The Pope speaks ex cathedra. That his words are inspired. That he is God on earth. That's why the Jesuit order pushed in 1845 for the Pope to be deemed infallible, making him equal with God, making him God on earth. So, no one could suppress the Jesuits because if the Pope tried, he would die. Bible believers believe that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That the scriptures are our only rule of faith and practice, and they are all sufficient for everything that we need. They are not only sufficient for eternal life in Christ, which starts the day that you are saved, 
They're sufficient to explain how we are to live. How we are to conduct ourselves. How the church is to be conducted. How the women are to behave themselves. How the men are to behave themselves. How the bishops are to behave themselves. How the deacons are to behave themselves. How the young are to behave themselves. How the old are to behave themselves. It is what the scriptures say. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hidden mine heart that I might not sin against thee. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver, tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Psalm 12, 6 and 7. The Bible says it's the word of the Lord that endureth forever. So we are to take our faith from the scriptures. We are to take all that we believe from the, from the scriptures. And not only that, but Jude warns us, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance so you once knew this. So they are ungodly men. And the Pope could not have men reading the scriptures. That's why he started the counter-reformation to suppress the reformation, to suppress which the crowning, the crown jewel of the reformation is the King James Bible. It is the crown jewel. It is the crowning achievement of the Reformation. That is what God used the Reformation for. There were already Bible believers. There were already churches. There were already the voudois. There were already uh, the, the, um, the believers that, that, that held to the Scriptures. They had their, their blessed Italia Biblia. They had their Scriptures. But God wanted the Scriptures in the common English language. In the highest standard of the English language. And that's what it's in. Then, of course, things have been standardized. But when Luther brought out his Temple Bible, when he brought out the Temple Bible, when he translated the scriptures, it freed men from bondage. It freed them from bondage. And the Jesuit order wanted to enslave men. That's why every time they caught them, they burned their scriptures. That's why the Waldensians, the Vaudois, they baked the scriptures into bread. They taught their children to memorize books of the Bible. They didn't have TV. They didn't have internet. They didn't have distractions. They didn't have uh, technology. Their children memorized whole portions of the Bible. So if it was taken from them, they could recite the whole portions of the Bible. 
They would bake their Bible. The, the, they would bake the manuscripts. They would bake the, the word of God into bread to hide it from the papacy when they would come. Why? Because the papacy wanted to destroy the scriptures. Why? Because they wanted people to believe in the infallibility of the pope. They did not want them to believe in the infallibility of scripture. They did not want them to follow the scriptures. They wanted him to believe in the infallibility of a man, the man of sin. That's why the Waldensians, the, the Vaudois, called those people, uh, call, called the, the papists the Antichrist. They knew they were Antichrist. They called him the man of sin. They would say that infant baptism was the badge of Antichrist, and they would have nothing to do with it, and they would, they would have nothing to do with their Bible versions. Uh, Satan would, would bring out those false Bible versions that would try to come out and try to deceive the people. And they would war against those. They would stand against those. They tried to take the Vaudois Bible version away from them. They had that old Italian Biblia that they said they had from 130. They weren't going to budge on it. They didn't want Jerome's Latin Vulgate. They would stick by this stuff. The Jesuit order was designed Counter the Reformation and the text of the Bible. Not to allow the scriptures to be translated in the vulgar tongue. So they would, they would war against men like Knox and they would war against men like uh, uh, the, the Vaudois. They would war against um, uh, all of those that had the manuscript, Luther. They would war against Luther. The Jesuits never stop. In fact, their war on Germany took place with Hitler. Hitler was the son of the Roman Catholic Church, and he was revenge against he was revenge against Luther's Reformation in Germany because he wanted to keep the world in the, the Dark Ages so the Antichrist could rule. That man of sin would come on the scene, the one that will finally come one day on the scene. Anyway. The next time we talk about this, which I don't know when that'll be, and I've already read like 60 pages of this book. Not, not with you guys, but 70, actually, actually over 70. 75, wow! It's very good. The next time we talk about, we're going to talk about Jesuits as corruptors of morals. How they corrupt the moral, morals of nations. Do it on purpose. Oh, it's what they do. Let's see here. I show you a mystery On trumpet's mighty blast Will pierce through the sky The grave shall then be swallowed up in victory King Jesus will prevail and death shall die I shall see the King in his beauty 
Okay, one more here. The runners all stand ready, the crowd is looking on. The starting gun is sounded, and the race is now begun. Beginning seems so easy, but soon I feel the pain. Then I hear a voice from heaven above, and it's calling out my name. Be faithful, Christian, and run the race. Keep looking up.
eyes on Jesus. He knows which path is right. I trust his word to lead me through the day and through the night. Whenever I'm discouraged, he comes along beside. When I fall, my Savior picks me up and he keeps my hope alive. Amen. All right, everybody. God bless you. I got a lot to do, man. I, I'm glad I had a lot of this researched, all of it researched already before I, I talked to you about it because I was busy today doing a lot of different things and, and getting things moving. So uh, lots to prepare for. I, need, I know we have months to go for that, but I have so many projects in the fire right now. Uh, and, uh, you know, with the I've got to try to study for the Coliseum, got some things going on that I need to take care of uh, at home and all kinds of extra things to do. So busy time, but praise the Lord. If I don't get to Davos this week, I might just continue with this Jesuit part two and continue on with their history. I might just do that. We'll see what happens. And then I'll save that till after Davos is over, maybe next week. So we'll see how that goes. But, but, uh, uh, that I might just continue on because this is very informative. It'll help you understand uh, from other perspectives, not just mine, but other men that are out there that wrote on the Jesuits and that dealt with them and that stood their diabolical schemes and plans and what they still do now, right? So anyway, um, hopefully it's informative to you. It helps you to understand uh, what's going on in the world today. Pray for us. Pray for our ministry. Uh, don't miss tonight, 7.45 p.m. Central. Be preaching the gospel, 745, preaching in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, and verse number 17, 18, maybe even 19, okay? That's tonight, 745 p.m. Central, live on Rumble and live on Sermon Audio. So uh, feel free to tune into that, and then otherwise I'll see you on, Lord willing, on Friday. We'll see you then. Uh, let's see. Um also, if you'd like to pray for our ministry, number one. Number two, if you'd like to give to our ministry, go to uh, oldpassbaptistchurch.org, click on uh, Donate, or, or click PayPal, Venmo, or Apple Pay. That'll take you to us, and you can give there, or you can go to Servant Audio. You can scroll down the page there, uh, and uh, there's our address there, all that good stuff. Or you can click Top, Give. It's... It, so anyway, otherwise, you can contact us if you have any questions about any of those things. And no, we're not a 501c3. No, we don't have tax write-offs. We don't have any of those things. We're just a church, and we serve the Lord, and we don't have a 501c3. We don't have a tax identification number. We don't have any of those things. And that's um, why we don't have as many friends. But uh, <laughs> But anyway, praise the Lord. All right, everybody. God bless you. Take care. We'll talk to you soon.